Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is none other than the OG himself, Jason Thompson, a longtime part-time domain investor by night and a cybersecurity and sales engineer professional by day. Today, Jason and I discuss what led him to domain investing, blogging, and how he and Morgan Linton established a domainer meetup group in downtown LA. Jason also talks about why he's passionate about the Dot City extension, as well as reveals who and where the most money is being made in the domain industry. Jason and I chat about how he navigated and adjusted to code switching and the lack of diversity in the domain industry. And last but not least, we hear from Jason about what it's like to supplement his lifestyle with domain investing, yet build generational wealth through portfolio development. So with that, Jason, welcome and thank you for making time to join us today, my man. Really appreciate you having me here. The original domain investor himself, Jason Thompson. Man, this is awesome, dude. This is awesome. So, hey, man, to kick things off, Jason, briefly share at a high level with our listeners just a bit about yourself, who you are, your personal and professional background. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, for those that don't know me, uh, I've been in the domain space on and off probably for the last decade, if not more. Uh, my my background is uh, technically in cybersecurity. That's what I do for a living. And I currently work as a sales engineer. That's my career, but I still dabble in the domain space on the side. And uh, based out of Los Angeles, California, I'm sure I've met a lot of your listeners and I look forward to, to learning from you and uh, hopefully teaching a few people uh, based on my experiences. Yeah, man. Indeed. I, you ran across, actually, I ran across you, man, back in like 2011, I think it was 2011, 2012, it was probably 2012, come to think of it, latter part of 2012. Um, and you had a blog back then. I think it was like jasonthompson.co, if, that, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's that's one of the many the many blogs. I'm <laughs> I'm one of those serial entrepreneurs that loves to start projects but never have the time to actually finish them. <laughs> but that's what makes me a great sales engineer because I I love being part of the the pre-sales process and I'm invigorated to to onboard clients. But I leave it up to the professional services teams to implement solutions and and so on. But I'm kind of the same way when it comes to domaining. You know, I, I, uh, I've had several different blogs. Those blogs um, have, have netted me the ability to, to kind of meet some of the, the uh, faces behind the, the domain industry. And I'm very thankful for that. So then, Jason, I mean, take us back then. How in the world did you stumble across tech and, and, and domains? Like, how did those two worlds mix up for you? Yeah, yeah. But, like a lot of these domainers that are out here, regardless if it's domainers now or, or back when I ended up starting, I mean, you, you obviously kind of read the, the headlines that are out there. And those headlines used to consist of the, the same people over and over again, selling domain names or trading domain names, uh, regardless of, of uh, how much they were for, they were, they were adding value. And they were showing the brandability power when it comes to um, owning your own space when it comes to the, the uh, internet realm. And I found that fascinating uh, because of the fact that when I was younger, I was known to take apart computers. I would lay out all the parts on the ground, 
remember my dad bought me a, a, a Canon 486DX, if I remember the model correctly. Ooh. And I, yeah, I go way back. <laughs> a lot of that stuff was, was soldered in uh, to the point where you couldn't pull out the, uh, the equivalent of what would now be like a, a removable card. So something that was around three, four thousand dollars, I was dissecting at a very young age. <laughs> that led me to want to build my own computers, and then eventually, you know, like everyone wanted to do, start your own web design firm and try to come up with the next big idea. And that's kind of how I found myself in the domain space, acquiring names at that point in time on those forums that existed. Ah, uh, so then I guess you started. I guess for one, begin tinkering around with the hardware, but then made a shift towards software. So I'm assuming then that you picked up on HTML, CSS, all that stuff real early. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm known to slap code together. I wouldn't call myself a <laughs> a, a, a proficient coder or programmer, but I know enough to be dangerous. I'm more on the uh, the infrastructure side of things. If I need to uh, do something in PowerShell. I can make that work. If I don't know how to do it, I'm going to figure it out. That's just kind of how, how my mind operates. Not to mention when it comes to Linux, I'm, I'm very fascinated by the operating system to the point where uh, when I was in, in pre-college uh, going to a, a school that I cannot mention, I was able to reverse engineer their entire uh, network as far as administrator usernames and passwords were concerned. And I won't go into detail on that, but it's just fascinating what you can learn um, when, it, when it comes to uh, a domainer like myself. <laughs> There's other things that are, that are pretty interesting to me. Well, it's that it's that curious nature. I mean, to to a certain extent, and, and you and I, we we definitely have our 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 paths are very similar in a lot of different ways. And so it's the curiosity of sometimes just can you do it? Not necessarily that you're trying to be malicious or anything like that. It's just, man, I wonder if this can actually be done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and to highlight your point, having the entire book you know, of that university. And I'm saying book because it was literally everything that was extremely important to them as far as access was concerned on an iOmega zip disk, one of those purple, (laughs) large equivalent of a floppy zip disk that could hold a hundred megs. It wasn't a jazz drive. It was an iOmega. It worked on a parallel port. And it was just, it was fascinating to me to be able to hand that off because it was my, my nature and, and curiosity to do what people now call pen testing. Now, now it's a commodity when, when you're, you're looking for a service like this. That didn't exist back then. Exactly, man. Your, your story, it, it so reminds me of a professor who shall, na- who shall remain unnamed as well. <laughs> he, uh, man, of how he taught us how to hop through machines and, and literally begin to hack. And so he's like, but the, w- w- the one thing that I always remember about the lesson that he, that he said, he's like, all right, I'm going to show you something that can ultimately change your life for the good or can change your life for the bad. Um, he's like to the point that you could actually go to jail for doing this. He actually showed us his stuff. And I just remember thinking, and he kept reiterating just the ethics around, uh, just the world of technology. And I never will forget it just because, you know, some years later we found out one of our classmates, um, had actually wound up doing something that was almost like what we did, but he took it to a whole different, to a whole different level. Um, and wound up going to prison, man. And yep. 
it was just like one of those things like you're like wow okay it just got real about yeah you can actually use these things for good or for bad and so a lot of this stuff is just a matter of can it be done but then also keep it in context of okay well how do we use it for good as well as knowing um how it can be used for bad but how do you defend against it yeah yeah you you bring a, a key point there it's it's one of those things where I've always tried to, to u- utilize that knowledge for good. And immediately, obviously, when I went through um, my, my spurt as a, a white hat hacker, you have the ability to say, okay, I can help this organization understand where the infiltration points are and the exfiltration points are. And in doing that, you're educating uh, people that you may never have met in your common day-to-day. At that point in time, I I was a pre-college student. I wasn't even in college. And I was able to educate systems administrators. I was able to educate uh, leaders that were in the computer science department to the point where they actually offered me a partial college scholarship. Didn't go to that school at the end of the day. But hey, you know, it, it was it was a uh, an experience that I would never take back because I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't uh, been able to, to help in that capacity. That is awesome. Now, I guess now, did you always know that you were going to go towards the path of tech and, and getting into college and I guess just maintaining that that whole tech interest? Yes, yes. Uh, there was there was no way that I wasn't going to keep um, pursuing the, the tech side. Now, when it comes to a lot of, of individuals that enter college, regardless of what kind of school you're going to, and you're interested in tech, I mean, you, you've got to understand if you want to go to the business route, if you want to go, you know, the, the, the typical computer science route when it comes to handling um, the, the code that makes a lot of uh, these web applications work. Uh, in, in the infrastructure code that makes the infrastructures continue to, to keep uh, allowing us to, to turn on the lights, you know, and, 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 and turn on the gas when we need it. It's, it's one of those things. For me, um, a Java application did nothing for me. I mean, I remember that was one of the, the, the projects that we had to work on and, you know, creating some visual buttons and adding some codes behind it with the right you know, SDK, SDKs and then the um, repositories and tapping into other libraries. I mean, it's nice, but it wasn't something that drove me. W- what drives me is being able to pair a business case, regardless of what it might be, with technologies that are going to end up solving a solution to make our world safer and to also make business workflows continue without being uh, intersected or, or inter- interrupted in any capacity. I know it's a lot to say, but that's that's what drives me in, in what I do on a current day to day basis. And so then so you go to college and then kind of now, when did things become clear, I guess, for you in terms of your path? Like, did you always, I guess, desire to go into web hosting and web development, all that stuff or scripting and, and just tech or like kind of help us bridge that gap in terms of you going to college and then like what was next? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, the next thing was like you were saying, jumping into the web hosting world. Um, in, in, in the web hosting world is, is kind of a, an interesting world because it does pertain to domain names. You're, you're literally having to provision 
uh, name servers. You're, you're literally having to understand host names. You're, you're having to understand DNS entries and MX entries and so on. And, and that directly intersects and correlates with what makes a domain name special beyond just the naming convention itself. So yeah, I, I decided to, to, to uh, when I graduated, I decided to do one of those headstrong things that a lot of us, when we're younger, uh, <laughs> want to end up doing. You know, it's, it's fight or flight. You're either going to do it or you're not. And I did it. I had a, a, the point where I had about maybe three racks in a data center in downtown Los Angeles, and it was shared hosting. Wow. And I, I also had Colo and was offering um, some dedicated servers and so on. So things were well for a period of time, but everything has been commoditized to a point where now web hosting is a utility. You can spin up exactly what I was selling at that point in time at the, the uh, snap of your, your fingers. It's, it's very, or a click of a button. It's very easy to do these days. Yeah, definitely. And that's, uh, you know, it's one of those, especially when you start looking at the bigger player, it's one of those things that it's like you said, it's either a sink or swim type of a moment, either you're going to uh, stick with it and and scale, because that's only one of the ways that you're going to be able to stay in business is if you scale or you just reach a point and you're kind of like, yeah, this is this is for the birds at this point. This is such a commodity that, you know, the margins are so low. Uh, that it's not even, you know, worth it. So uh, I don't know which one it, it was or how it ended up for you, but I remember doing kind of going that same route myself and just realizing like, yeah, this is this is not what I want to spend the rest of my days doing. Um, and then got into like, I got into user experience and interface consulting and more in-depth software engineering and development. And so now when you were in that business, so I mean, I so that puts you, in close proximity and immediate proximity rather to domain names, but had the light really gone off of just saying, Oh, wait, this is, you know, digital, uh, a virtual real estate and I can be actually making money off of this, flipping it. Like when did all of that occur? Yeah. So putting, putting a and B together when it comes to that equation, it just, it goes, it goes back to trying to replicate successes that you're reading about. And uh, there wasn't one particular success that I had read about, but it was the same people that were doing this over and over and over again, understanding the value of a domain name and what it was worth, not underselling themselves and monetizing. Hmm. What interested me in domain names to begin with were direct type-in names. I I liked uh, keyword-targeted domain names that allowed you to find what you were looking for faster. Not to mention, since you were playing the intermediary, you were getting a little bit of that money to begin with to bounce that person off to maybe a website or uh, information source that they wouldn't would not have found uh, with the traditional search engine just because the two facets operate differently. Um, I always found that fascinating. I I still to this day believe in uh, keyword domain names. I feel like they're incredible. I don't, side with just the the uh the group that says dot com is this and dot com is that and i'm not going to mention the the uh, <laughs> wonderful uh, phrase that people have heard but for me i i'm about the the locale of where you live in the heartbeat that surrounds you i love small businesses i love anything and everything to do with those that are working for themselves in these small businesses 
And if I can help in any capacity, I'm going to end up doing it. It's not something I can focus on full-time right now because I'm still in love with sales engineering and this is my passion. But I would say a close second would be my company that I have that is currently just acquiring .city domain names. Ah, okay then. So then I guess what year then did you, would you say that you got started in terms of domain investing? Yeah, domain investing. And it's funny that you you bring that up. I was looking at archive.org just to make sure I I hold myself accountable. But when I really got into domain investing, I would say it's when um, I got my first blog started, which I'm not going to mention. Everyone knows the name of it. But in 2009, that's when I first really, 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 really started to get into domain investing. And I was pursuing it in a way that a professional should pursue any business. But I always knew it wasn't going to be my main business. Why so? There's too many anomalies uh, when it comes to domain investing. And uh, you can hear a lot of sugar-coated stories over the years. Uh, Truth is, uh, there's a very small, minute percentage that are selling enough domain names at a a, a specific price point to support their lifestyle or support their families. And for me, when it comes to assessing everything, I I assess it from a cybersecurity standpoint. I've always been like that. I look for the technical gaps in a situation to understand where that risk resides. And I try to come up with formulas in my mind to get ahead of that risk from spinning out of control. And it's easy to maintain a domain portfolio with 100 names, 200 names, some 300, some several thousand. But then you start to kind of do the math behind it. Are you really successful in selling those names? Are those names getting to the party that you want them to be associated with? Do you feel good about it? And at the end of the day, you know, you can build a wonderful portfolio. But if you're not monetizing that portfolio uh, to the point where you can live off of it, then it's better considered to be a, a side business, a side hustle, or, or something that you, you can add to what your core business unit is. That makes total, total sense because the, the reality is I think a lot, of, a lot of folks, and I know likely some of the newer listeners here, they, there may have been that moment of getting the glimmer in the eye of I'm going to strike it rich. And while you you hear about these five, six figure sales, most of those sales, I mean, in comparison to the, if you were to look at the overall population of domain investors and investing over a period of time, you would likely say that those higher sales are more like anomalies than they are really any, you know, consistent sales because there are probably more people not selling and dropping and or or renewing worthless domains to to a certain extent than there are actually, like you said, making consistent sales on a regular basis that uh, you know, supports their, their, uh, their way of life. Correct. When you're, when you're looking at that in the way that you described it as well, who's making the money uh, for the most part when it comes to domaining, right? It's the registries, you know, it's, it's the registrars and it's the infrastructure behind those two. So if you were to get into domain investing, don't do it as just being an end user on that spectrum. 
be the middleman, be the person that's providing infrastructure, be the person that's running the registries, negotiate to become the new person that's going to have an extension that you can end up offering to the public and so on. That's where you make the money at. But that's not a, a story that's told too often. And it's important for new investors to know that you can waste a lot of your time investing on domain names, racking up a lot of debt. But if you can't necessarily cover that debt and those expenses, it's not a business. The no, business certainly. is behind the curtain. And, and that's what people need to, to, to look into a little more. Now, why do you think that story is not often often exposed or shared? It's not often exposed and shared because there, there are powers that be that want to continue down the path of success that they've established for themselves. And it, it makes sense. Right. Uh, the harder that you uh, uh, create an, uh, the, the barriers to entry to, the better for your business. At the end of the day, it comes down to economics, right? If someone wants to start um, the equivalent of a, a new registrar, like the one that got sold to something daddy, right? Um, <laughs> you can do it, but you have to be strategic about it and you have to understand the underlying business and so on. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that are willing to put in that work. At the end of the day, they'd like to just list their domain on a domain auction site and see if you uh, bought it, you know, for more than what they paid for it. And, and, and that simplistic nature is is one that can can actually set individuals up for failure. I think if you're new to the domain space, you have to understand how it runs. You have to understand where the money is being spent, and and crunch some numbers, figure it out. For me, I'm I'm comfortable with Dot City because it's a domain extension that everyone is kind of ignoring. <laughs> like I, I was able to acquire Inglewood.city recently, Las Vegas.city recently. I wanted those two cities because I identify with those two cities. I, use, I also own Los Angeles.city. I own cybersecurity.city. There, there's a method to my madness because of the fact that I believe in, in this particular extension beyond just what a flipper would, would believe. And when I do have the, the time to, to build a team to help drive that dream to fruition, I will. But it's not going to be my main business. It won't. It, it's it's still going to always be a side business. Right now, for for most of the listeners that likely find themselves in a you know like in the throes of being a domain investor, like for you, obviously starting out in domain investing, like when did that light bulb occur? When was that moment for you that you realized and said, "Wait a minute, for me to actually make money, I got to get into that middleman role." Like, what was that? What what caused that light bulb to go off in your mind, or was it always there? Yeah, you know, it it, it was always there. Um, there were always the big domain conferences out there, and, and sometimes when you're you're at the domain conferences, you you hear that people are are doing this, they're doing that. There, there wasn't one way to just be successful in the industry, and and everyone should be able to define a success differently. It it shouldn't just be a monetary success. Mm. It should be the satisfaction of what you're actually doing. Do, do you enjoy what you're doing as as a domainer? You know, and and, and for me, uh, I would consider myself a domainer, but I I appreciate appreciated more so the social aspect of the community, and and that was one of the reasons why um, myself and, and Morgan Linton, a good buddy of mine, ended up establishing that Southern California Domainers Meetup Group. It was a social aspect. To ingrain yourself with technologists, some more than others that are uh, proficient at what they do. Some had massive por portfolios. 
The other ones, you know, were developing their names. And then you had uh, the, the, the registries that were behind helping us throw some of these events because everyone had, had an important uh, role to play. And then everyone potentially had the ability to, to monetize their role with, with that intersection of, of networking. So that, that, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And what's interesting is, and I always wondered in terms of your, your background of how, you know, you obviously you started earlier, three, three, yeah, three years earlier than I did. And so I wondered about that and you mentioned Morgan Linton. And so like, how did y'all meet? Yeah. Yeah. Morgan and I met through our blogs long ago. (laughs) It it, it started off as pretty much who's going to be able to write the most, at least from my perspective. (laughs) And, and I think, I think it became almost like an addiction when you're on domaining.com, the, uh, the aggregation for all of these news feeds or blog feeds, however you want to look at it. (laughs) And if you can write every single day, a blog entry, I, I consider you to be successful because I love to read. I love to write as well. There's certain uh, strong strengths that I have when it comes to writing versus the, the strengths that someone else would have when it comes to writing. But it's a, it's a global perspective. And I got a chance to meet Morgan through that, that area. I think we ended up meeting up at uh, a bar in Brentwood, if I remember correctly had like a beer or two and, and pretty much said, Hey, let's, let's start a, a local meetup group for domain investors. And it literally, it started off in the back of an Irish bar in, in downtown <laughs> Los Angeles. I mean, it, you, two guys walk into the bar. <laughs> yeah. Two guys walk into the bar. You, you, you walk into this bar. This is when we had our first meetup, mind you, this is, this is me fast forwarding to the first meetup. We had a number of people in the room. There's a, there's a, a, a photo that I'm sure Morgan still has. I have to find it, but it literally has all of us kind of, kind of standing in front of this, this area in the back of this bar that they provided a, a private room for us to have our first meetup in. And it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, it, some, some if they were to wander in these days and be like, whoa, why did you guys have the meet up there? Because it had to happen there. It, it was something that you'll never forget. There's a lot of people that are, that are probably still thinking about some of the meetups that we, we used to hold, but it started very, very, very small with some industry insiders in there too. And if I remember correctly, there's a buddy of mine named Ronald Wells, uh, who was there along with Oscar. I think that's when I met the two of them and I'm sure they're in that picture as well, but that's how, that's how it started. You know, it, it started off of uh, converging the, the virtual world with real world, realizing that, that Morgan and I tend to, to think similar in, in certain ways and, and just playing off of each other's energy to kind of build what we felt was, was a meetup group. It was a pretty good, good time when it started. Now, was the meetup more, I guess, based on uh, a social relational aspect or was there a bit of education in there? Obviously, I mean, you all are likely sharing stories with one another, but I guess, was there more of a formal, hey, invite a speaker in and, you know, they share or was it just more, you know, laid back and formal and everybody's there to to meet, socialize and, you know, nurture relationships? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was it was laid back, formal socializing. And then, you know, when you have people in a, in a, in a room that have a similar mindset, you're going to, you're going to start to strategize and start to talk about what makes you tick, what makes this industry tick, why you enjoy being at the meetup, 
why you enjoy being in the industry, why you call yourself a domainer. And at, at the end of the day, I think those building blocks still hold weight for all of us, regardless if you've been to one of the, the meetups that we had in the past or not. Let me ask you this. Then in terms of those meetups, like how did those meetups, I guess, help perfect or refine you as a domain investor um, or your domain investment strategy? I'll, I'll be the first to say that I've sold several thousand dollars worth of domain names over the years, but I'm, I'm not pushing them you know, like, like a typical domain investor would. Uh, I've been blessed with trying to understand what may end up working and, and what may not. And, you know, I've sold domains to crypto companies. I've sold domains to retail companies. I've sold domains um, to small mom and pops. I mean, y- you name it. I've, I've, I've done a little bit of that. And then there's, there's times where you're just like, no, I'm not going to sell my name for that. You know, and it, it, and it happens a lot. Right. It, but I know that for me, I feel like domain investing was all about being cash flow positive, meaning if you're not making what you want on a day-to-day basis, you need more lines of income or more streams of income that are going to help you uh, tackle your, your day-to-day, whatever that budget might be, whatever that you know, item that you're shooting to buy might be, um, whatever your lifestyle is. And domaining at first, I mean, I, I, I do quite well these days on, on the career path, but domaining at first for me was to kind of supplement my income. That's when I realized I was a, a, a domain investor. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I could increase my earnings potential and add it to what I was earning at that time. And I think at that time when I first started, I was either working for a small web design company in Glendale when I had those aha moments as a systems administrator and then knock technician climbing up the ladder of the, the data center world. This, this is all after I, I had my hosting business that I ended up having to walk away from eventually because it just didn't make dollars and cents anymore. And I, that, that's when the aha moment uh, came for me. Uh, work just as hard. You know, I don't think it's going to just be like a, a, a what, what's the book called? A three-day work week, right. whatever that book is. Yeah, yeah it, Tim, it, life, life Tim, isn't that. Tim Ferriss, I think. Yeah, I mean, great for him. But for most of us, that's not life. I mean, you can automate your job. You can outsource everything. You know, wonderful myths. I love it. But you, at the end of the day, you still got to end up creating a product or a solution or paying the bills if that's your product and solution. And for a lot of us, supplementing the income is, is domain investing. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, because a lot of people ask, well, Alvin, how is it that you you make money? And, you know, while, you know, I do make a considerable amount through domain sales, but there's also uh, the blog in terms of affiliate income. And then, you know, I've developed uh, a a number of sites, anywhere between 15, 20 sites, and those are driving um, affiliate income, AdSense income, as well as lead generation. Um, And then, you know, it's like I have other ventures out there that collectively all the the multiple streams of income are this is what's actually providing the standard of, of living and some um so right. it's not just one you know it's not just one primary source of income it is a it is a spread it's a diversified diversification of uh, income across you know a number of areas now let me ask you this now being a person of color like, what was it like to enter into an industry that is often perceived as uh, predominantly white male? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question, and, and it's it's one that I don't shy away from. I mean, anyone that knows me, you can ask me that question directly to my face. I'm gonna give you an answer. Um, <laughs> it, it it's there are a lot of similarities within the corporate world. You know, at times, uh, I've worked for companies that don't necessarily have um, diversity initiatives, and they don't need to. You know, it, it, they, anyone can do whatever they want to do, but if you want to end up bringing in top talent. You want to end up um, having a diverse workforce. I think that's a strength. And I think for me, there is diversity to a point within the domain space, but I didn't see a lot of people that look just like me. So that, that was a bit of an adjustment. You know, I'll say it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was alarming. It, it was kind of expected. And so now in your experience, I guess, do you find or did you find yourself? Because I, I still don't necessarily know how active I, I believe you're a bit active. But obviously, like you said, you're you still have your career there that that's definitely your passion. And so do you or did you find yourself having to code switch, you know, within the domain industry in terms of uh, you being able to be yourself, say what comes to your mind? Or was it, you know, one of those, hey, you know, I've got to kind of fit into a certain to a certain extent. Yeah. So that, that's that's very that's a very, very good question. It's one of those things where I think in the domain space, there there are are a certain group that maybe maybe they don't get out enough. Right. Maybe they think everything <laughs> yeah. that you're writing is exactly what it is. Right. And it's just one of those things where I feel like a lot of of uh, investors, including myself, for you know, a period of time, you live behind the keyboard too long, right. and and it's important to have meetups uh, so you don't have to figure out if you need to code switch or not. You know, being a minority in any industry, but for me, I've always been a blunt person. I've always said what was on my mind. And to be honest with you, that's that's one of the reasons why I, I still have friends to this day in the domaining industry because they know I'm not trying to get anything out of them. Right. They know they know that it's a genuine friendship. They know that it's it's me truly trying to be the best person that I can be. And the synergies work. You know, I've had domain investors at my wedding, you know, and I'm I'm proud to to end up saying that because that that's how close you grow to some of these individuals. They actually become friends. Right. Lifelong. Yeah, lifelong. Definitely. Lifelong friends. And, and for those that are probably saying to themselves, what in the world is code switch? And so oftentimes, if you are from one culture and you're entering to another culture or into another ethnicity, uh, a relationship or an environment, sometimes uh, you can't necessarily be yourself because of how the culture uh, is or the whatever the majority culture is. And so to a certain extent, you have to kind of talk and walk the you talk the talk, walk the walk of that given culture or ethnicity or grouping of people that it oftentimes you don't realize it, but you're losing a bit of your true self of your natural self. And so that being said, oftentimes there is a work you and there is a personal you. And some folks are like, well, why does there have to be a two different yous? And it's like, listen, there are cultures that that just happens. Um, and for some people, if you are saying to yourself, no, that doesn't exist. And I go, that's because you are. Congratulations. 
the majority culture. Uh, but if you realize that you have to switch in terms of how you say certain things um, and lose a, a bit of yourself in terms of if you're coming from, let's just say, a, a, a black culture and you're ending into a predominantly white culture, there are certain phrases and uh, colloquialisms that you may or may not be able to use. And so that's what we mean by uh, code switching is, you know, you, you can't go in and necessarily go into corporate sometimes and using slang or using just a different dialect of speech. There is a, a majority culture dialect that you must speak to be able to hold uh, a job or a role. And so oftentimes those things permeate, um, not just at, at your work environment, but your life. And so uh, Jason, just like you said, I mean, a lot of times it's sitting behind the keyboard or just even living life with people who just look like you. Um, you can be exactly. in a bubble and not that there's anything wrong with that, but why would you choose that when there is actually a greater world, a greater expression uh, to experience in this world and greater relationships at that to do so? So that that is interesting, my man, in terms of your your role, your experience. And so like for you entering into the industry and not seeing folks that look like you, was there a drive to either try to find folks or be an example of uh, someone who was successful in the industry in hopes of inviting others in? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I was never shooting for uh, trying to be the, the uh, epitome of success when it came to um, what you would, you would identify as a, a domainer that's selling millions of dollars in domains. I, I knew that was never something that was probably going to end up happening. But what I flourished in was with bringing people together. And uh, uh, the Southern California Domainers Meetup in its prime was one of those things where we brought people together and it was an open space where you could feel safe, have a few drinks and actually talk about what was on your mind. What were your concerns? You know, and, and you could actually talk directly to uh, those that were in positions of power um, that were in the domaining uh, industry, regardless if they were an end user or if they were on the infrastructure side of it. And I found that amazing. It, 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 uh, it actually showed me that in the real world, domaining looks a lot more diverse than it actually is in the virtual world. Right. And it's, it's, it's so funny when, when you have that revelation to yourself, because that aha moment started off in, again, <laughs> over a beer in a, <laughs> in a bar, you know, talking to my buddy, determining what we were going to do and, and what we were going to build out of this thing. You know, and obviously, you know, Morgan's had to do what he's had to do in the, the startup realm. I've had to do what I've had to do in, in, um, uh, sales engineering and so on are our true passions, but we learned so much. And I know I learned a ton, not only from him, but from a lot of the people that have entered the space and exited the space. I've always been here. I'm just not as vocal as I once was because I don't need to be. I've, I've done enough to, to prove the fact that I can network and, and bring people together and feel good about it at the same time. But I have to end up earning a living as well. So it's a delicate balance. I do all the domaining stuff maybe once or twice a week when it comes to just looking at uh, domain deletions and drops and using one of my favorite services to backorder names, which I'm not going to give away because that's part of my secret sauce. <laughs> As the listeners go, Dak, 
on it. I thought we were going to get something, get him to drop a gem or two. <laughs> and, and he's holding back on us. No, that, that's good, man. And so what, what's interesting about that is, you know, because that was going to be the next question is wondering, like, how involved are you uh, today? Obviously, it's been over a decade now. And so yeah. in, in terms of your involvement, you know, are you hand registering? Are you participating in auctions? And and you mentioned earlier, obviously, you're not just solely a dot com uh, person. You're you're also with dot city. So, like, just kind of give a glimpse of what it, it looks like in terms of you in terms of how you qualify yourself as a domain investor these days. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I I. Everyone has their own definition of success and, and, and a blueprint that they're comfortable with. My blueprint tends to revolve around the city. I, I love living in Los Angeles. I've been here all my life. One of these days, I want to end up building out a resource that's going to be able to help the city in a capacity that the government can't. You know, and, and, and I shoot for that, regardless of what that niche may be. It could be on a, a, a city level uh, with the Los Angeles Dodge City. It could be on a regional uh, level um, as far as uh, the city is concerned with westlosangeles.com. I own that too. You know, I own westla.com. I'm, I'm slowly but surely acquiring a dream portfolio for myself, not necessarily to flip, but to be able to end up developing and harnessing the power of these names with a platform that I'm going to be developing through my company. So it's, it's not necessarily an easy answer to the question, but... I'm still involved, not on the blogging scale. Maybe I'll get back into blogging one day. Not on the meetup scale. I mean, virtual meetups, let's be honest here, they're very boring. I don't care. I don't care who you are. This virtual world right now that we live in, you can act like it's fun and it's not. It's not. It's not. The best meetups are when you're able to end up meeting up with your friends, at least on a quarterly basis in the industry grabbing a beer, tossing one back with them and just reflecting on life. That's what we're missing right now. So I'm not really inching towards that area until maybe things get back to normal. Maybe I'll re revive the, the meetup group. But for me, it's just slowly maneuvering through the processes that I've learned over the last decade plus of how to identify key assets, especially within the Dodge City realm. I love .com, don't get me wrong, I've sold majority in .com, but one of my biggest domain sales was a .org. You know, we can't negate the fact that there's money in all of this, but for me, it's future potential. It's harnessing the power of a portfolio that can also give uh, new meaning and life to to the city that I reside in. So that's what I'm kind of focused on now. Yeah, and it, it's so interesting because it strikes me as where while there is a a there your personal interest plays into the type of development of the portfolio that you're doing, and so it strikes me that I'm like, oh wow, as much as you're a domain investor, really you're a legacy builder. Yes, that it, it, at the end of the day, it does come down to that. Uh, I, I believe it, it, when I'm a property owner as well, fortunate enough to, to have a, a, a duplex to call my own, you know, and I, I believe in, in that multifaceted approach of, of generating income. And it, it's important to be able to, and I don't have kids yet, but it's important to, to be able to carve something out for your, yourself that can continue to provide wealth and then provide wealth for those that are going to be down the line. And 
I want to do the same thing uh, with with the virtual infrastructure. But I always feel we pay too much attention to the virtual infrastructure. That virtual infrastructure needs to get feet on the ground, you know, feet on the ground directly into a small business or directly into uh, a, a franchise or directly into that that uh, dry cleaners that you have down the street. That, that's what I believe in. Or there's an artist that you want to end up, you know, buying some artwork from. Meet that artist. Don't just buy it online. Go meet him face to face. Understand his story. And domains should be able to empower people to be able to do those sort of things. It's interesting that you bring up art because it makes me think of this whole notion that is taking the world by the storm right now of NFTs. And so non-fungible tokens. So it is like everywhere you turn around, everywhere you breathe, NFT, NFT, NFT. And so it it, it strikes me when you said in terms of getting out into a a physical realm and actually meeting an artist that has done a work of of some sorts and and actually, you know, exchanging real dollars between one another to actually support that artist. And so like, what do you make of this whole thing of the whole centralized internet, the decentralized internet and uh, handshake domains and NFTs? Like, is that something that's on your radar or not so much? To be honest with you, it's it's not really on my radar. I, I, I remember I was reading a couple of things on, I guess they call them like virtual card drops or something when it comes to the NBA. You know, I was yeah. joking around on Twitter with uh, Domain Shane and um, a few other <laughs> folks on there about that. And, it, and it's, it's hilarious to me because what we used to do as, as kids, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an avid uh, sports fan and I also still have a lot of the cards that I had when I acquired when I was young, but now they're, they're adding the new vector, right? Oh, you can own this content, this card that only a certain amount of people can end up having. Oh, and by the way, the, uh, the blockchain is behind it and so on. Truth is it's still digital content, right? Nothing is going to replace the real world tangible objects. Yes, you can buy it. You can, you can purchase a virtual Apple from Amazon Fresh, but when it shows <laughs> up at your door, it's a physical entity that you can consume. That part is always going to be needed. So I, it's, I think it's important to try to not get too taken. I'm not going to say advantage of it, not, not too too far off in into a spectrum where you're constantly throwing money at at virtual investments it's i'm i'm a, I'm a big believer in crypto i'm not a crypto investor though i i love the the little mining apps that they put on your phone you know to to mine i think there's pi and then then, then there's like bcoin or something right. i think those are fascinating because they're, all they're doing is chewing up a bit of bandwidth on my, my phone and uh, <laughs> killing my battery a little faster. But I'm not spending any money on this. I have to pay for my, my mobile phone on a, on a monthly basis either way. So, I mean, that, that, when it comes to, to NFTs like you described, I, I'm, I'm probably not a part of that. I know some are, and some have been quite successful but I, I'm, I'm staying away from that uh, these days. It, it, I feel like everyone's chasing that bubble in the sky, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, nah, man. It, when I heard about the NBA Top Shot, I think that's what they're called, Top Shots yeah, or something Top like shot. that. Yep. And, you know, 
I was like, well, let me see what's going on, man. And and I could not believe what my eyes were seeing. I was like, okay, wait, I can go find the same video somewhere on YouTube. And I'm like, am I missing something, y'all? Or and it seems like one of those things that somebody's gonna get left holding this bag and it's not gonna be pretty. Uh, the other thing that it made me you know you're gonna upset some people saying that, right? <laughs> hey, listen, man. I listen. I got to point to the truth here. With with something is not making sense to me, and I'm just like, man, this is interesting. Like, I just kind of call it for what it is, because what it makes me think about, and you'll probably relate to this, knowing that we grew up within the same time frame. What it makes me think of is back in the day when we had tape cassettes, and. Yeah. You would stick the tape cassette in, record the song that that came on the radio, and you could record whatever songs you wanted in whatever order. Well, then you call it a mixtape. Mixtape. And then you go sell that tape. You you basically duplicate that tape again and again and again and again, and you go sell it to your friends. (laughs) This is what Top Shots makes me think about. And I was like, y'all know know I could actually go in and do the same thing and – call it whatever and stick a price tag on it. And I'm like, man, this is interesting how we went from the physical realm of mixtapes, cassette tapes and CDs and all this right into the virtual realm of, of NBA top shots. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and set my calendar and we'll see how this all works out. I just don't want anyone holding the bag on it. And so I know I'm probably going to get email on that one. Yeah, you, you might, but holding the bag is is completely uh, spot on. It, and you're probably a stock investor as well. I'm an avid uh, stock investor when it comes to um, shares and options. And and I'll say that the joke that the running joke that we have on all these stock forums and and uh, stock sites is, you know, are, were you left holding the bag? Right. How heavy are your bags? Right. And, and the truth is. You can't continue to just chase after things. If, if something already sold for $100,000, you know, I'm referring to one of those Top Shot cards. <laughs> if something sold for $100,000, that doesn't mean that the next person over that goes and buys it for 100000 is going to sell it for 300000 or 400000 or 500000 Again, someone's going to be holding that bag in the end of the day. Hey, listen, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed. But when playing musical chairs and the music stops, you need to be sitting down. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. <laughs> that much I do know. And and so I'm like, y'all, the music is playing, but it's going to stop at some point. And uh, yeah, you, you don't want to be the one holding that top shot. Nope. Uh, it's like, let that thing go. And so, man, it it's interesting to me. And then it's also, I guess, from a, when I think about the comparison, though, between uh, the decentralization of the internet versus centralized centralization. I think living in the kind of day that we find ourselves, like what do you make of where the internet is going? Obviously we've seen a former president deplatformed um, and quite a number of other folks deplatformed as well. Like what does the deplatforming and then those heading into the decentralization for, you know, D web or web three, uh, however you want to put it, like, what does that mean to you? And what do you think it means for domain names, I guess, in general? You know, there, there, there are times where I've thought in the past that when you buy a domain name, you should actually own that domain name for as long as you want to own it, 
right? And and this is this is this is going to get into an, a gray area that is going to make people question why they're paying for renewals, right? Right. And and it's it's one of those things where hey, if you buy a name, let's say you spend five thousand dollars on that name, shouldn't you be able to own that name and pass it on to your kids without a renewal attached to it? But then again, that's the infrastructure part. Mm. That's that's that 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 part where the core of of the space is actually going to be making money, regardless if they're public facing or private or not. The infrastructure is required. So when it comes to you know NFTs and decentralization and all this other stuff or centralization, however you want to look at it, right? There's money in infrastructure. Uh, when it comes to the top shot, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, wonderful clip <laughs> that we're seeing in LeBron James, you know, halo or holo, whatever, whatever that one, you know, card that sold for was it's that it's that blockchain infrastructure be, behind it that I think is, is amazing. And it can be attached to, to every industry out there. Uh, unfortunately there are those that are just looking to make a quick profit off it as well. And you can kind of see that when it comes to Bitcoin and, and so on. But I do, I do feel that if you've created, created content yourself, meaning the NBA didn't create LeBron James's content. All they did was, was transfer that content to the matches, right? They put them in, they put them in a, a, uh, a position because of his talent to be able to be featured in such a way that more people may know about him than the next NBA basketball player. So in my opinion, LeBron James should own his content. Now, I don't know if that, that uh, falls in the spectrum of what we're talking about, but I do know that I hope that he's getting money off the back end of those cells, even though he doesn't need it when it comes to top shot. Well, and yeah, and so, and I think that's the thing that, that you, that you mentioned, because if you look at, what the current day model is in terms of ICANN, for instance, if we're talking about domain names, which this, I mean, this definitely qualifies for it, of how you said, hey, through that NFT, you hope he's getting a cut. And to a certain extent, it kind of works the same way with legacy domains. And so if you look and say, okay, well, if I want to go get a new extension, it at minimum cost me $185,000 just to even throw my my hat in the the ring, if you will. Exactly. And then from there, who knows what it's going to cost if somebody else, you know, comes to challenge you. Well, then you add in the fact of every year it's at minimum $25,000 fee for ICANN accreditation or whatever. Well, you juxtapose that to... Uh, let's say a handshake domain and you get a you get a string that now i guess in in for all what we know you know you no one can take it away from you um but you get it for a fraction of the cost and it allows you to be a uh, registry and so you juxtapose those two worlds and it's like well shoot that i can actually see what decentralization brings um from the standpoint of handshake domains and you having the ability to go out become a registry and now make money off of those who register uh, domains based on, or, you know, SLDs based on um, your TLD. And so to that end, I kind of applaud and say, yeah, but then it also kind of, you have to look back and go, yeah, but what happens to the existing infrastructure? And that's it's the not problem. like it's going to go away. Right. The, the existing infrastructure is something that's been in place for so long um, and I can, you know, I don't work for ICANN, you know, and I, I don't 
really care if they hate what I'm saying or not, but ICANN is, is making money off of the backs of uh, small businesses and individual investors like ourselves off of every single domain that we register. And we're not really getting that money back unless we use our creative willpower to make it happen, right? So should we be granted in a piece of that infrastructure? Do we have to go the investment route to be granted a piece of that infrastructure? Mm. I kind of like what you're saying about the um, decentralization of, of, um, of, uh, of, of domains in general when it comes to the, the handshake domain approach. It, that's something that I just pulled up on my, my laptop to, to look at real quick. I think that's amazing. In fact, I think it's important to empower the people to be able to have the ability to compete with the ICANs of the world. I think that's extremely important because you can't just have one governing body that has oversight over everything. You know, that, that's like the, the U.S. government, right? Just being the U.S. government, but there wouldn't be a, a, a California governor or there, there wouldn't be necessarily a, uh, a mayor in a, in a city. Everyone should be able to have a piece of that pie is what I'm trying to say. Not, right. not just be the president over the entire situation. Exactly. Exactly, man. And that, and that's the thing that, you know, it's it, it, nobody knows the future of how all this is going to shake out between the two worlds and whether or not both can coexist. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of look at it and I go, man, it would be pretty neat if technology were in a space and place that, which I think it is, it seems easy enough to me anyway, that you could take the legacy domains and based on what somebody types in, whether it's one of the new handshake domains of, it, you know, if they said dot Jason Thompson or Jason Thompson slash or Jason Thompson dot uh, co like it would know whether it's decentralized or inter- or the centralized internet it would know which one to go to and pull the DNS and you know show the correct content uh, based on what was typed in and so that's the thing that I look at I'm like man that that is a big future ahead that could ch- yeah, change the game for a lot of folks from moving from an investment standpoint to even becoming, like I said, registries. And so, you know, it's like, ha, huh, here we are, you know, at the, at the, at another pivotal moment um, as to what the internet was when it first came online. And yet this is yet one of those other milestone moments of, okay, well, what's going to become next? What's going to be this next big thing? Yeah, you know, it, 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 with you saying what you just said, I, I pulled up an article. Um, how is the how is the, the this different with Handshake, right? And the first line of it said, "Handshake domain names provide true ownership." That's kind of what we've been talking about even right. before you you brought up um, the the Handshake Handshake domain concept. So it's it's, it's owning a piece of that infrastructure that I think is is missing when it comes to uh, each and every one of us that call ourselves domain investors. Totally. And so, man, then wrapping up where, I guess, where do you see things headed for the domain industry as you see it? Uh, com is still going to end up being one of the verticals that will sustain itself. Um, it, 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 com has become an extension of, of our lives, regardless of how you look at it. Um, but I, I do think that there are going to be some, some uh, alternative extensions that are out there, whether they're CCTLDs or, or uh, GTLDs, whatever it might be, that are going to rise up in a way, if the registries embrace the users 
the end user that are participating um, with those particular registries and registering domains, if they can partner up together and build things uh, together, I think we're better off that way. Uh, the, the current model makes sense, but it's it's just a, a traditional model that I don't think necessarily resonates well with the way things run these days. And, and what I mean by that is when, it, when you have a domain registry, that registry should pr- provide the ultimate visibility into its op- operations, regardless if it's publicly traded or not. Because those that are taking the risk to, to buy domains um, with your extension are actually spending hard-earned money to build out and make your extension more brandable than it was before they mm. actually ended up starting down that path. And I've always felt that one of the w- ways that XYZ has become successful is because Daniel Nagari actually provides some visibility into to the way he operates. You know, he, he, he is a very approachable person and we need more uh, individuals like him in the industry that are willing to kind of shed the light on why he went the route that he did. Right. And in why he is successful in what he's doing, and if we can converge the piece of the end users with the those that own the infrastructure behind these registries and or own the registries themselves uh, together, uh, you can build something amazing. And instead of just it being kind of an inverted equation where it's it's top heavy, where you have one side making a boatload of cash and then the other side inheriting all the risk, that doesn't work. There's no business that's going to work in that capacity. Right. Certainly can't be sustained. It can't be sustained. Exactly. Certainly can't be sustained. And so it's interesting that you say that because then in the in the same light, the thought that pops into my head is it's it's not about whether or not dot X, Y, Z is as successful as dot com. And much like you said earlier, it's about how and what do you define success to be? Um, exactly. And, yep. it, and it, it, it has no no uh, direct correlation, if you will. Uh, many will try to make that 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 claim, but the reality is, no. If if Daniel Nagari says, "Hey, my whole goal is nothing but uh, to have a million domains registered," well, that's his level of success. It, 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 exactly, exactly. And if you can look through the eyes of someone else that's been there and done that uh, successfully, don't don't criticize the fact that it's not a .dot com. Okay, there, there's there's too much. Of, of this hatred towards those that are taking a calculated risk in a strategic fashion on other extensions. That's because it affects the global value of that primary extension because it was here first. But that doesn't make any sense anymore. You've got incredible startups that are being built off of .io. You've got incredible businesses that are adapting to the changes. I've seen some incredible cybersecurity companies that are using Daniel Nagari's dot security extension. That in itself right there, multi-million dollar raises for these companies that have taken the risk to go with a GTLD or an alternative extension. There's money in that because of the fact that they're seeing the future. They're not going to just settle for uh, the, hey, you know what, I, I need to go pay several hundred thousand dollars for that dot-com domain that is in the cybersecurity industry. <laughs> I know someone that owns that name. Right. And uh, he'll probably make a couple million off of it down, down the line. But at the end of the day, you've got innovation occurring all around it because of the fact that you've got people with insight 
and in and, uh, and visionaries like Daniel Nagari that took the risk to build out the company that he owns now. Definitely. Now, do you think that you will invest in, in other T- TLDs out, outside of Dot City? Well, if if uh, Nagari decides to bring down the renewal uh, fee or the registration fee for Dot Security, I would be all over that. Uh, traditionally, my, my top three would be uh, keyword domain names for the most part. Um, I, I love .com. I love .org. A dot city. I love if it's a, a city paired with it, but I also like if it's a niche um, that resonates. You know, I have some art uh, dot city domains as well because it it makes sense. Um, and then you know, when it when it comes to to the domains in in general, it, it's all about the renewal. You know, Los Angeles dot city is worth the risk for me for the renewal, which I think is about five six hundred dollars a year. That's cheap to me because I know the power of a name like that. You, you tell somebody Los Angeles Dot City, you know, if it's ever developed in the near future, to go visit that. They're not going to forget that. They're not going to go just immediately to LosAngeles.com. They're going to think about city and they're going to plug in Los Angeles Dot City. That makes sense. And not only that, so, I mean, I even think about it at a global standpoint. Like you start yeah. putting some of these these uh, large cities uh, that are known throughout the world on on a Dot City. I mean that. There, there's so much there's so many possibilities there yeah and and you're kind of you're again it's it's that infrastructure side you're you're breathing the the lifeblood back into the cities that need it the most right now right if anything were to get me to to halt what i'm doing on a day-to-day basis it would be to help the community in the capacity that i can because there's a lot of people that are unemployed right now COVID has is literally just shackled uh, some of these businesses from doing what they do best. And uh, there's so many stories that you can hear about people um, uh, get, getting getting just derailed from their their livelihoods. My my whole goal, and I'm I'm also known to to kind of just invest in in random GoFundMe uh, campaigns that I see as well. It's just to help. I want to make this world a better place than it was when I first entered it. And if I can do that. Eventually, with my dot city domain portfolio, I will. I also own a, a I think a, the other stuff I was going to talk to you about was the the cybersecurity side. I own a, a several uh, key cybersecurity domain names as well because I'm passionate about the industry and and it's the industry that I I consider my career. And so then, like, how does that? I guess how has your career actually played into how you invest? Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, for, for, uh, for, for profit, no, but <laughs> for building out strategic portfolios that I feel make sense to me. Yes. You know, I, I, one of my favorite, uh, domain names that I own, uh, is cybersecuritycompany.com. And I know a lot about cybersecurity companies. I know a lot about the vendors that are in the cybersecurity realm, and I know uh, what end users are looking for. You know, maybe one of these days, maybe I put together uh, a website that will help pair the companies that need cybersecurity solutions and services uh, with the actual vendors that are selling those those particular services. Kind of like what channel partners do, but mm-hmm. you know, just have a website that brings everyone together. Who knows? But the sky's the limit because I own the name. That is awesome. So then, in terms of uh, this last question here, so like, what would be your advice to someone, given the current nature of things in terms of the domain industry, knowing all that you've known, all that you experienced, 
like what would be your advice to someone who is thinking about starting domain investing like in your opinion where should they begin one you have to to just assess what you consider to be successful if i tell someone else hey this is what success looks like i'm lying to them so they kind of have to take a look in the mirror and, and determine, hey, I, I know a lot about this subject matter. Um, I also love uh, tying this subject matter with domain names or two domain names. Maybe I should go ahead and carve out a portfolio that has to do with things that I'm passionate about. Not just looking at, okay, who's going to buy this name from me? Because at the end of the day, no one uh, potentially is going to buy that name for, for you, <laughs> you know, or from you for that matter. And you may be staring at that name in your portfolio, entry for your credit card every year, kind of determining, eh, should I go ahead and renew that or not? No, be proud of your renewal. That's what I would tell somebody. I'm not going to tell anybody, hey, this is how you sell domain names. I'm not going to tell anybody, hey, this is how you can make the most of what you're doing. I'm not going to write a guide that tells you how to do that. I'm not going to come up with a a resource that teaches you how to do it. I'm going to tell you to do what you're passionate about and pair a domain name with that passion. Now that may, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And it, and that's one of the things that, you know, I tell folks, cause I'm like, man, the strategy that I use, while could it be replicated? It could be, but the best strategy is going to be the one that's obviously based around your strengths, your weaknesses, and not my own. Um, and your your life experience even though you could tell me hey alvin this is where i found success in terms of cybersecurity, i could run out there but i don't know the first thing about cybersecurity. can barely spell it on a good day you know and it's like well shoot you don't necessarily want to while there are some tenants and some things that are transferable uh, for the most part, it's really going to have to be, you're going to have to carve out your own path to success. You're going to have to uh, set up your own goals of what the success looks like and, and define it uh, based exactly. upon your own life experience and, and what your goals are and what you long for your life to ultimately be. Um, so it can't just be, oh, well, Jason did it, so I'm doing it. Good luck with right. that. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you have to hold yourself accountable and you have to be comfortable with that decision. Exactly. If it makes you uncomfortable, A, you should probably not be doing it or B, maybe you should be doing it more, but you hold yourself accountable. Exactly. Yep. I, I, I totally agree. Well, Hey man, thank you so much. Um, like I said, I, I can't thank you enough. It's, it's always good to be able to meet the, the OG himself. Uh, like I said, I, I know that for from my standpoint, I know that I've done a lot of reading, seen many different things from the from blast from the past. And then all of a sudden it was like you disappeared. I was like, man, where is my man Jason at? And so, you know, in between time and in between everything that's happened, I mean, you've gotten married. You you're 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 start, you started that path a couple of years ago. And so, man. Like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the time that you shared, the insight that you've shared. And so uh, I just hope listeners are just as appreciative as I am of, of you doing so. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I, I'll, I'll just extend, um, you know, the, 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 the warm welcome to anyone else out there that should be interviewed by you. You know, I'll, I'll leave the listeners with that. If you know someone that has a great story to be told, 
regardless of what your definition of success looks like, you know, come, come on on board here and, and talk to Alvin about it. I know there's many of you that are out there that I'm going to be reaching out to that Alvin may have already reached out to and you know who you're talking about and know what I'm talking about, right? That I'm going to get pretty much on here because they have fascinating stories. We're talking about stories that involve willpower, success, and just operating in the shadows of the industry at first. We didn't even know these individuals existed. Wow. But they had their own version of success and their stories need to be told. Exactly, man. And I can't wait uh, to share that. So I certainly appreciate it. Hey, man, if, if folks want to uh, just get in contact with you, how might they do so? Yeah. So normally what, what I'm going to say is <laughs> if you know how to reach me, you know how to reach me. Right. <laughs> but if you want to reach me, reach out to me. And the best way to do that is going to be via Twitter. Gotcha. I'm like, man, you know how to use a search engine? You, they'll get to connect with you. You don't? Well, yeah, we probably got bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to sum it up. I agree. Oh, uh, uh, man. Well, with that, we're out of time. So, Jason, again, thank you for joining us today and sharing your domain uh, investing and just life experience, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you. Cer- certainly. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks. And that's all for now. <laughs>